0: What's up, everyone? Today, I'm very excited because we're going to be talking about Light of the Jedi, but not just with anyone. We've got the author of the book, Charles Soule, is here to talk with us. Thank you so much for taking some time out of your busy schedule to chat about Light of the Jedi and the High Republic.
1: Uh, it's it's a pleasure. I'm very excited to talk about this book right now. It's been a huge week for it, a huge couple of weeks for it. So uh, I, you know, I'm very proud of it, and I'm happy to talk about it as much as I can
0: yeah, let's start by saying congratulations on topping the New York Times bestseller list. Uh, that's amazing. It's so well deserved. How's that feeling?
1: man, i I will tell you i've been I've been writing books since I was like in fourth grade. Um, most of them were not were not very good uh, until sort of more recently. But I always kind of had had this as a goal, like for basically my entire life. and so as a creative person. so to finally achieve it feels like, I don't know. I was I was out yesterday. Um, I was going for a run because I had so much nervous energy. Like they, they, it apparently the New York Times sends out the list or sends out the emails at five oh three p.m. on the dot. It's a very precise time, <laughs> and um, so I, and I, I as that time approached, I just got more and more like crazy. And so I went for a run, and um, then I found out while I was on the run, and I just sort of stopped and stood there, like I got off the phone and I just stopped and sort of stood there and looked at the sky for a while because it was such a like. It was amazing, and, and to do it through Star Wars, which is something I've loved my entire life too, felt really, really good.
0: That's fantastic. Uh, I mean, I want to say that Light of the Jedi was immediately one of my favorite Star Wars books, and one of the ways I know that is because, I mean, I spent so much time reading Star Wars, watching Star Wars, but like I, I finished it, and right as I finished it, I was like, I have to read this again. Just because, like, I I wanted to, uh, not just like for the channel or whatever, uh, and so I'm on my second read right now, and I just love it to death. Um, so but,
1: it holds up on a on a second read.
0: Oh yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> it, it, it's even more like it, there, there's less pressure, so to speak, for me where I'm just like ah, I can just read this, and I'm not like taking notes or anything. I'm just reading the story, and it's great fun. And you,
1: hopefully, I mean, as you read through it a second time, there's there's a lot of stuff that's seated in terms of what's going to happen, what happens at the end. And so you can kind of see those things being laid down and mm-hmm. then the pieces and everything, which I, I hope is fun.
0: Yeah. Um, well, as a quick icebreaker, uh, just outside of the high Republic, but still within star Wars, I love asking people what what's their favorite C or D list star Wars characters. So not like a main character, but is there someone out there that you think maybe you are the biggest fan of?
1: Um, I think, uh, and, and this seems to be the case from what Story Story Group has confirmed, um, Lor Santeca, like uh, they they get, they. I, I am like the only person who ever pitches anything for Lor Santeca. And I'm like, well, you could do so many things with that guy. He's been around for a million years exploring the galaxy. Like, that's cool. And he, he you know, it's a neat idea. And so finally I was able to sort of validate that to a degree, uh, both with appearances whenever I can in comics, but also, um, obviously the Santeca, his family, his clan, plays a big role in, in Light of the Jedi and the High Republic. So um, I feel a little bit vindicated that I I have the ability to take a C or D-list character that I really like and, and do more with them. It's kind of fun. That's,
0: that's funny. You surprised me. I was going to guess Yaddle.
1: Oh, well, Yaddle's important too. <laughs> the thing is, Star Wars is, is chock full of, of exciting C and D-list characters. Um, I mean, obviously I have a soft spot for for Lobot. Uh, I make a lot of jokes uh, about Dexter Jetster, who is Weird, but I like, uh, you know, and again, as one of these characters seems to have deep knowledge of the galaxy, like knows where, you know, knows what a camino, what is it, a camino saber dart, I think, um, like knows what that is when nobody else knows what the thing is, like that's, and now he runs a weird diner on Coruscant, it's, it's pretty great. So anyway, I, I, uh, I like all of the deep dive characters, but I think at the moment, the one that I'm, I've, I've always been kind of excited to do more with has been Lore Santeca, or in this case, the Santeca clan.
0: So uh, Light of the Jedi is your first Star Wars novel. Uh, mm-hmm. You've written other novels, but you've been writing for Star Wars in the comics uh, for a long time. And f- as far as I'm concerned, you've written nothing but bangers. Like, it's yeah. all been great. So Thank you. Uh, does does it get any less daunting to write for Star Wars every time? Or is it always a little bit like, are, are you more comfortable and confident now? Or is it always a little scary? Uh,
1: I mean, I, I think I'm... I think I know what I'm doing, hopefully, writing Star Wars stuff. Um, like I've, I've my first Star Wars project was Lando, the Lando mini series with Alex Malib and Paul Mounts, and that came out in 2015. So, you know, I've been doing this now. I, there has never been a time I have not been writing Star Wars since then. So I've been writing Star Wars nonstop for six years, sometimes more or less intensely, but it's been a constant. And so if you do something enough, you kind of, you get your feet under you. But the, the thing that has happened is, you know the the stakes have gotten more like significantly higher, I guess, with each project. So you know, if a, if that first Lando miniseries didn't work or didn't land, um I it would have had a bit of big effect on me because I probably wouldn't have gotten to write more Star Wars. But it wouldn't have affected. It wouldn't have been a big deal in the fan. It was like, oh, there was that garbage Lando mini. What a bummer. But but now, like that worked, and so then it was Obi Wan and Anakin, then it was Poe Dameron, and then it was Darth Vader, which was. Like the first time, I mean, Poe Dameron was pretty big too, but the following up Karen Gillen on Darth Vader, the Darth Vader comic for 25 issues with Jessica Kamikoli was like, that was the, like the first really, really big swing because it was, a, it was a really important time in Star Wars canon. It's right after episode three, Darth Vader's new to the suit, all the things we know about what that series had to do. Um, and, and the funny thing about writing these high profile Star Wars projects is that you don't just feel a responsibility to, Like yourself and your career, you feel a responsibility, like to Star Wars, Um, because I because canon is locked. So whatever stories I tell are the story. If I was going to tell the story of Darth Vader finding his first, like getting his first lightsaber, like where did his kyber crystal come from? All of those things, Um, I wanted it to be epic and 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 memorable and to stand alongside anything that was done in the films. Likewise, where did he get his castle? Um, Rise of Kylo Ren was another one, right? So. So as you're doing these projects that are sort of increasingly um, sort of central to, to the overarching canon and, and, and answering questions, maybe that's another way to put it, like answering questions that fans really have always wondered about or really want to know. Um, and, and you know, the the more you, you sort of seem able to answer them in a way that's satisfying, the more Lucasfilm uh, or, or Marvel or whatever tends to give you the opportunity to answer bigger questions. So the questions I'm answering become, more and more central and bigger and bigger to the to the fandom um, and to the, the overall galaxy and and so the pressure on me to get it right is is more and I think Light of the Jedi is is certainly the highest pressure Star Wars project I've ever had um, it kind of had to work and uh, I am so gratified again that number one <laughs> uh, New York Times last night the, the way that the reviews have been um, but even even more than like official reviews the way that People like on my Twitter, just, you know, ordinary folks on my Twitter feed have just been really telling me how much it's touched them, how much they they needed something like this in this time, how they the, the sense of the Jedi being real heroes and and the galaxy being optimistic and people coming together is something that is landing really well for readers. Uh, and that makes me very kind of proud and happy that I could put that kind of energy into the world at this time.
0: I completely agree with that. Like I, I had that. I think I put that in my review as well as that the great disaster and just seeing like the whole galaxy come together to solve this crisis that threatens all of them. Like it just felt like a story that <laughs> we really needed right mm-hmm. now. Uh, yeah. So yeah, that, that worked out pretty well. Yeah. Um, where, where did the idea of this specific era come from? Like, was it always part of the plan when uh, Lucasfilm reached out to all the luminous writers or was it something that all of you developed together?
1: Mm-hmm. The, the entire High Republic storyline, none of this existed before the five of us came together. So it was a completely blue sky thing, by which I mean the sky, it was wide open. You know, we all came together at Skywalker Ranch that week, the first time we went. And it was like, well, what do you guys want to do? What do you want to see in Star Wars? What What is this incredible thing? And it could have been 10,000 years before The Phantom Menace. It could have been 300 years after The Phantom Menace. It could have been literally anything. And we kicked around many, 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 many ideas. There's that, that, um, sort of famous and notorious and infamous shot of the whiteboard at the uh-huh. <laughs> Skywalker Ranch meeting in the conference room, which, you know, people like to, to zero in on that for whatever reason, but it's, it was, it was an idea board. And so it was where a lot of things were thrown out and a lot of things were discussed. Um, but through discussion, through working together and consensus and compromise, we, we all kind of settled on the idea that we, we, we wanted to, to work in a time period that felt, um, Untethered to the stories that we've already seen in many ways, so that we could we could use surprise as a central storytelling factor. Um, we could use sort of f- like fresh familiarity, right? So, like the Jedi are using lightsabers, but these lightsabers are generally speaking a little bit more innate. They have cross guards, they have you know embossing, they have other things that the the sabers that we see in the in the modern era don't necessarily, um, and many other things that we we did to make it feel very Star Wars but also unique. Um, and we thought if we went way far back, then it would it would feel disconnected from things that we know and love. But but going back 200 years gave us the freedom to move, but also have you know like Yoda could be in it or other long-lived species or characters. Um, you know, like Jabba the Hut is around at some point. Like he's in the galaxy at this point. Um, I'm not saying Jabba the Hut shows up and that that's this is not a, a spoiler. Just the potential. <laughs> but the Huts live for a thousand years, so like there are you know, there are characters that we know that the Wookiees are long-lived, et cetera. So you get what I'm saying, that we we can we can give people sort of tweaks of familiarity, um, which is your favorite thing in your in your videos, right? Um, you know, when you when you sort of point out the, the connections to existing canon, um, while also being really free to move. So that's that's really why we chose this time period. Um, and the specifics and the details of the feel just kind of evolved through a lot of a lot of discussion.
0: Since you mentioned the whiteboard and people, it's almost become a little bit of a joke about like dinosaurs being up there. Did you have anything like wacky that got thrown up on the board that?
1: Um, really noticed. I I don't know about wacky. I mean, there you know, like you joke around in the room. Like you know, there are there are there are ideas that we had that were just well, you know, it's hilarious, whatever, funny things. But it, I, I mean, my. I have. We all kind of had all five of us, and also it wasn't just. I mean, the five of us spoke, of course, but it was also Story Group was there. Mike Seglan, John Heddle, um, so Lucasfilm execs as well as Story Group all kind of. We spent a lot, a lot of time talking about what is Star Wars. What are the key elements? And things started to become centralized. Uh, you know, obviously, the Force is such a unique concept, and the Force had to be part of this in in some way, big or small. Jedi had to be part of it. Um, you know the the big dichotomy of light side and dark side uh and and exploration of those things that we felt like it should be a republic it should be uh, a galaxy where um you know that that had come together to try to achieve a purpose just different things um there were topics like found families which which was very resonant for all of us the idea that you know you can you find connections throughout your life that can become very powerful um all sorts of stuff so as far as anything wacky you know I believe the dinosaurs were Daniel Jose Olders. He's a big dinosaur fan. Um, But I don't remember anything in particular that was, like,
0: goofy. (laughs) I don't even mean to say that dinosaurs are wacky. Like, uh, Star Wars has always had crazy creatures. It's just people have been Mm -hmm. like, dinosaurs is written on that board. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. (laughs) So you, you have written in, like, every era of Star Wars so far, originals, sequels, prequels, in between how is that different from basically creating your own?
1: Well, um, I've, I I, I do, you know, obviously I do a lot of work in comics, not just star Wars things, but um, I've written a lot for Marvel and DC um, and I've written a lot of my own series. And, and so this question has come up um, in many contexts, basically, you know, what's the difference between writing your own stuff and writing, you know, the next version of Wolverine or Captain America or Darth Vader, whatever. and, the, the, the short answer is that when you are writing something like a Luke Skywalker story, you have the benefit of every single awesome Luke Skywalker story that's ever been told. That that when that character shows up on the screen, people love Luke Skywalker because of all the other times Luke Skywalker has been amazing. Um, but when you're making up a new character, like Avar Chris, for example, or Duryag um, Agaburi, or any, any of them, um, you, you, are responsible for making them amazing in whatever way you can and making them unique and special and hopefully building to the point where you have the people embrace them as much as Luke Skywalker theoretically. Who knows? Um so so the good thing is when you're writing Luke Skywalker is that there's all there are all these cues, like we saw in the season finale, of Mind the Lowering, right? Where like the, the X Wing shows up, the black gloves shows up, the green lightsaber, the the black hood, you know who that is because of all the iconography that's been established for him. Um, not only do you know who it is, but you know exactly when in his journey that is, which is all very like Star Wars is so in the Skywalker saga. Anyway, it's also keyed with these specific moments. People just know exactly, you know, they're just conditioned to know exactly what's happening. Many fans anyway. Um, but what that also means is that if you're writing Luke Skywalker, like he couldn't die in that scene at the end of Mandalorian season two. There was just it was impossible. Like so his fate. He can only be used in specific ways because we know literally the moment of his birth, we've seen it, and the moment of his death, we've seen both. So we know that there are the, all these fixed points in his timeline, and so you kind of, it, it it means there's only certain things you can do with him in a storytelling um, perspective, from a storytelling story perspective. But with somebody like Avar Chris or Buriaga or any of them in the High Republic, you don't know what's going to happen to them. You don't know where their journey's gonna go. You don't know why, you don't know, you just don't know what their path is. And that is phenomenal to have that level of freedom because you can take the readers, the audience on a journey that is thrilling because they, you just don't know what's gonna happen. And there's a certain joy in that as a writer and I think as a, as a reader um, to, to being taken on that journey. For sure. And like the great disaster, the opening of that book is
0: just a constant stream of like, here's a really great character. <laughs> don't get too attached to them <laughs> like yeah, it, it yeah. happens over and over and I'm just like well I, are any of these people going to live uh and it, it's so yeah intense it's such a great opening uh for this era has there been anything that was like a surprising challenge to you with all of this extra flexibility and freedom
1: um yeah you know the the thing is I would say you know this is this is dating myself to a degree but like you know when i was young i would go like there were still cd stores around you know you would go to the cd store and um i remember there's this very specific kind of mental sensation of walking into a cd store and you know because of the the endless rows of cds to get like i was like i have no idea what to get there's too many choices i don't even know what i what i think might be interesting to listen to or, or try to pick up or check out um and sort of that's what the high republic was at the beginning because we knew kind of the beats of the story but when it came to light of the jedi i was like okay i know what i want this project to accomplish but which path do i take to get it done and how do i weave through all these various elements that need to be handled from introducing a a gigantic cast uh to a a an era that needs to be very sharply defined to the other huge challenge of this which was developing the Knight. um Because they are the primary antagonist of this whole thing, Um, you know, with Marky and Roe and the whole thing. And and they needed to feel, again, fresh and familiar. They needed to feel like a legitimate threat and antagonist to Jedi who are basically, you know, like, how do you even approach trying to defeat the Jedi Order? It's like, you know, it's like it took Palpatine generations of extremely meticulous manipulation in order to even have a prayer of doing it. Um, And... You know the Nile need to needed to be somebody that you're like, oh wow, they're gonna you know, I don't know what's gonna happen with these guys. It could be really it could be really scary. It could be really frightening. And you know the fact is when you start with a golden age, which is what the High Republic is, and then you look at where it ends up in the prequels, you know, who knows how does it go from there to there? Um, so I think keying into what the Nile would be, how Marquee and Rowe would be, like how he needed to be able to stand alongside Vader and and you know, Palpatine and Darth Maul and Kylo Ren while also being very unique and not just being another retread of them was that was definitely, for me, that was the hardest challenge of a writing letter of the Jedi, like choosing how to do that, you know, the way to convey all those things in, in a story that was still, you know, the kind of thing you'd want to read immediately when you finished it. Reread rather.
0: What what is it you think sets the Nile apart and makes them unique the most? From say the Mandalorians or the Sith,
1: mm. um, I think I think part of it is uh, you know they they don't they don't have a code. I mean, we've seen you know the Sith can be cruel, right? Especially in Legends, we've seen them do horrible things. Um, but but there's a certain level of sort of like like. Um, I'm trying to think of the best way to describe this. Like, you don't know what's going to happen with them. And they're mm-hmm. not necessarily like, I mean, they're very good at what they do. They have a lot of power. Their weapons are strong and all those things, but they can still make mistakes. They can still screw up. And they're, they're, and the the sort of the worst things are for them, the, the more dangerous they become because they are like, they lash out and they're willing to take, like, and I think the Battle of Kerr, which ends the book, is a great example of like the yeah. way when the Nile are up against a wall they become absolutely terrifying which you know and and i think you know you look at the empire you look at the first order that's a regimented they wear uniforms they definitely have laws and rules and all those things and that is scary in a certain particular way um that's the 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 terror of the like you know the 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 boot stomping on you the the mailed fist clutching your throat whatever but the nile are more like you don't know you you just cannot predict what they're going to do. They are terrible people who are only in things for themselves, and you don't know what's going to happen. So um, that makes them a very very difficult, like asymmetric kind of foe to fight for the Jedi and the Republic, who who are not used to fighting this kind of battle. And and you know the the Niles' goals are kind of we just. We just want you to go away so we can do whatever we want. And so we're going to make this as horrible for you as we possibly can. We're going to destroy everything you care about so that you know better than to ever come up against us again. And because of Mark H. N. Rowe and the Pads, they actually have the power to do that. Like as Mark Ro says at the end of the book, he could put a Nile flagship on top of Chancellor So's palace if he wanted to. He could do it right away. So that's like, you don't know when they're going to show up. You don't know what they're going to bring with them. You don't know what they're going to do. It's that's scary to me.
0: Yeah, uh, it is. <laughs> um, how, how would you describe kind of the difference between uh, the way hyperspace lanes work and the way that the paths work?
1: Sure, absolutely. So um, the hyper lanes, generally speaking, the ones that are traveled in, during the High Republic are, um, think of them as, you know, highways, basically expressways. and. So they are ways for people to travel to kind of well-known destinations, interstate roads, whatever you want to say. Um, And they have, there's sort of, there's navigational data that is provided by beacons along the way. And they, you know, generally speaking, you'll get where you're trying to go if you're going on an established hyperlane. And those have been found and discovered at great cost and in in many ways, cost in people and money and all sorts of things by hyperspace prospectors like the Santeca clan. So those are pretty well mapped and well used and it's kind of the way it goes. Um, the further out you get from the core, the fewer those are because they're hard to find and it wasn't always necessary to find a route between outer rim worlds uh, because people weren't, there weren't as many people out there and, and it wasn't really as part of the Republic. So so that's what the hyperlanes are, they're like highways. The paths are like the, the back roads or the back like, you know, um, I don't know, I don't know where you grew up, but like, you know, I grew up in the Midwest. And so there was like playing in the woods was like a thing, you know, and, and yeah. so we would go out and like um, there would often be like little paths through the woods, like little animal tracks or like paths where other kids from generations before would go. And they would maybe they built a little ford in the, in the woods and you go find it, and whatever. Like, but the idea that there were these these little roads between the roads or like unknown ways to get places that um, were a little you had to kind of know that they were there to use them. And that's what the paths are, and so they let the Nile, who are the only people who have access to them, um, go to places—not just go to places that other people can't go, but get to places in ways that other people can't. So, um, one of the one of the things that's true about hyperspace and Star Wars is that there are there are zones that are sort of like occluded, almost. Sorry, I'm getting—if the sun's going down, let me turn the light on. Um, so, there are zones that, like, whether it's a nebula or something like that. So. There's a lot of space dust floating around so it's it's dangerous to jump in and out of that area um so the nile can do that because they can sort of be through the paths they can zip into a place where other people cannot jump into or leave from they can make really really short jumps which is something that the technology of the high republic can't do um mm-hmm. and and again they you know they can just be places you, you don't know when they're going to show up and they can show up absolutely anywhere so that is very different from any version of hyperspace we've seen. And it makes them a very formidable foe.
0: Very cool. Um, As you've been creating characters like, uh, marking on row, Avar, Chris, uh, this huge cast Mm -hmm. with that, uh, did you develop this cast together as all five of you, or was it kind of a per story? And are there any characters that maybe you feel real ownership over and how is it passing those characters around to, uh, Beat the other writers included in different stories yeah
1: yeah i mean so so by and large for these first round of projects the this isn't universally true but i think it's true enough that it's i can say it the the characters who are the main characters of each of these these launch projects were each created by us pretty much so like um you know avar and elzar buriaga uh jason um the you know and Rowe like uh, the, the characters you see in Light of the Jedi, um, Loden and Bell, Porter Engel who's who's the best um, you know all of those were were came from from my mind uh, the um, you know there was a time though like but it, but at the same time it's sort of a collaborative effort right because Chancellor So is a great example because in the earliest versions of these of the documents the story documents we just called her the Good Chancellor. And that was from a, um, just, just, I had, you know, that's what I thought was the right tone we wanted was to have a chancellor be like strong and good and so on and so forth. Um, And so, and, and I had a sense that she would be a woman, but we didn't know much more about her until that. And then Ian McKaig, the legendary concept designer designed Darth Maul and so many other wonderful Star Wars things um, did some concept design for us. And he did the design that we probably, you know, people have seen of Lena with her two, um, you know, pet cats, uh, who are giant lion creatures, Matari and Boru. And, um, I think it was Mike Seglane who said we should use her as, as Lena. So she would be, that was great. And so then I had to reverse engineer who those lions were, um, and put them into the book. Um, and, and Daniel Jose older actually named them and named their species at Tigons. I think tigrons Tigons, Tigons, Trigons, Trigons. So the, so that's a great example of the way that a character who's become very very central to it like I knew what her like what the shape of her was and how she would feel in the story but in terms of what she looked like um who the cats were like all those things it came from all of us putting it together um but to answer to get to the second part of your question like now you know the group is working on kind of the second the second set of projects and so like Kevin um you know in in like he uses Avar Chris a lot in the Marvel comic and Avar Chris is somebody that I made up and um, I you know that she hears the force as a song and all those things that she does those are those were details that I put into her but you know one thing you learn when you're working in comics is that you cannot be precious about characters that you create because it's it's sort of you have to let them go and it's sort of joyful to see how other creators interpret them and what they choose to do with them um, so but at the same time we're all really still involved with all this stuff so like it, it is interesting to to know that, um, you know, some of these people that I, I really feel closely close to are are being written by other folks. But the good news is I trust all the other Luminous authors very, very close. You know, they're all amazing. Um, so I, I'm not worried at all about uh, about them being sort of mishandled or anything like that. And it's just nice to see other people bringing these people to life.
0: Yeah, uh, I think it's really cool watching and hearing about yeah, the collaborative nature of telling a big interconnected story like this uh instead of something that you were just off on your own telling uh do you guys collaborate like as Kevin was writing the rising storm would would he go to kind of people who created those characters and get inspiration from you or do do you all have questions we we all talk
1: we talk every single day so (laughs) it's i mean we have a we have a slack channel where we we talk every day we have a we, we get on the phone a lot. We text each other a lot. So there's it's um, I think there's a sense of, of writer. Like, I don't know if the conception of the way that we're doing this is like, oh, OK, well, Kevin's writing The Rising Storm. So he read Light of the Jada and then he went off and wrote wrote his book for, you know, whatever, whatever amount of time it takes him. But it's, it is not like that. It's like, OK, guys, here's my outline for the book. What do you guys think? And hmm. um, so we all talk about it. And then. Um, you know, he's, it's his book. So he gets to make, you know, he's making the calls and obviously writing the words, but the, um, the shape of it is something that we're all, because it's, because Kevin's going to write rising storm. And then the story, as, as was announced on the big um, launch call last week, I think I'm, I'm I've completely lost track of time, but I'm pretty, pretty sure it last week. Um, you know, the high Republic has three phases. It's, it's light of the Jedi quest of the Jedi and trials of the Jedi. And that's an enormous amount of storytelling. So, you know, what what Cav's doing and 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 Justina and Daniel and and everybody um, you know Claudia for for the second round of projects feeds into the next round of projects and the next round of projects and so on and so forth all the way through trials of the Jedi so um, we need to be involved in each other's storytelling because we will all be writing other parts of, of the other two phases that you know the re- rest of phase one and the other two phases so you know you it's important to all of us to help sort of you know guide guide, the story as it goes
0: yeah uh some people some fans myself others have noticed some of the little crumbs that you've included in previous projects uh Mm -hmm. dooku jedi lost by Kevin has some some reference i think those were the first references to the high republic after it was announced uh but then there's things like the rise of kylo ren having some very fun sneaky connective tissue Mm -hmm. with Elfrona, and uh there's some stuff in into the dark that i won't uh, get into just yet but sure yeah h- how does it feel to see people like picking those elements out and it's it's them? awesome you know like
1: the the truth is we we did that because for fun for us you know we did it because it was fun and we had the opportunity to do it like you know i i was writing those projects i'm writing the marvel star wars flagship series now like i have the ability to put that connective tissue in if i want to if i have a planet and i need to put a jedi outpost there why not have it be Elfrona? why not you know why not do that fun thing for myself? Um, and and you know I did that with Lord Moman in in a lot of my earlier storytelling, just kind of laid seeds down, and, and so you can kind of get this weird like Charles Soule comic book shared universe thing going on, which is a really neat opportunity to do. Um, and we're just doing that on on kind of macro level. We enjoy doing it, and it's fun. And so uh, we did it kind of for ourselves, but now that it's happening, we we like how people are finding these little bits and pieces and so when we have the opportunity to add other things i think we i think we will continue to do it
0: <laughs> uh, i had this question written down and then it was supposed to be a joke but now i f- feel like it <laughs> i was going to say who's your favorite new jedi and why is it porter ingle oh i mean
1: I, I, it, it I might be that. porter ingle i the, the <laughs> thing that i really so i listened through the audiobook i was i was just going to listen to the beginning because uh i wanted to hear how they had done it and I, and mark thompson was reading it he was an amazing uh reader of a uh, performer, really. It's not just a reader, a performer of of the Star Wars audiobooks. Um, and then I got hooked, uh, which, which felt kind of vain, but also, like, kind of good because it made me feel like I had... So listening to the book as opposed to reading it let me experience it at a, at a remove, right, at a little bit of distance. So I was able to um, just kind of get into the story. And, and even though I knew, obviously, not just every beat that was coming, but almost every word... Um, I still like they still really landed well. And and so some of the scenes, um, I was like, oh man, this is good stuff. And and one in particular is, is Porter Angle's big fight when he um when those two Nile sharpshooters are trying to ambush him. And he's just like, All right, this is what you get, fellas. And and it's like the opportunity to write an utterly like totally badass Jedi action scene, and there's lots of them in the book, right? This isn't the only one. Like oh, yeah, it's a insane. moment when a Jedi is like, "Okay, it's it's all business now," and he takes out his lightsaber and he and he does what Jedi do when they when they need to, right? Not when they want to. It's when they when there is no other choice left to them. Um, and you learn why the Jedi are. You just you know, like it's why Marky and Rowe talks about in the book. He's like, "Look, even one of these people." can really mess up your plans, can really destroy your day if you're if you're not careful. And and I wanted to demonstrate, like in many ways throughout the book, but why, you know, Porter Angle in particular has the reputation that he has. So and fortunately it seems like it didn't just work for me. It seems like it worked for a lot of readers. A lot of people really liked his stuff. Um but I also think Avar is really like some of the things she talks and thinks about and the fact that she really is all about connection and Everything she is, every the ways, whole thing she understands the force is all about connecting to other people and using that connection to help, which I think is beautiful. Um is pretty great, you know. There, there's, I mean, Elzar is great. Loden and Bell, like I, you know, they're all cool. Like even the, the less focused on Mikel and, and uh, Mikel Sutmani and Tayami, they're they're cool too. And <clears throat> I don't think there's a Jedi in this book that I don't think that I that I didn't want to make awesome because why wouldn't you want to make the Jedi awesome? But I also really wanted to make them all unique. And I think in that I, I succeeded.
0: You did. And i that's exactly how I feel when people are like, who are your favorite new characters? And I'm usually like Porter and Bell and Loden and Avar. And, and mm-hmm. uh, even the even the non-Jedi characters are, mm-hmm. are wonderful. Um, so we're, we're getting to the end here where it's probably uh, getting to points where you, these are questions you can't answer, but mm-hmm. I feel like I have to ask. So... Uh, you you did talk about how there's three phases of the High Republic, and I'm curious how much of the whole storytelling initiative was planned out by all five of you before you started putting pen to paper.
1: Um, all of it, basically. Like, obviously, there there are there are ways that we can zig and zag, and there you know there's there's room built in to respond to the fans as they as they like things, but uh, like things or don't like things, whatever. Uh, but but we know what we're doing, we know where the ending is. We know what we're building to, we know the character arcs, we know all of those things. And it was a um, it was a choice we made like early on that this was going to be something that we wanted to really try to, to use all of it because that's really hard to do, you know, because it's it's a multi multi-year storytelling initiative built over, many many projects in many different like reading levels and zones and formats and and mediums and so it's really 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 challenging and so trying to do that without a significant sort of locked in plan um would be would be would make it even harder and so um we know we know where we're going we know what we're doing it's all super cool and uh we're just excited for all the different parts to start getting laid down
0: If these first handful of stories are any indication, like I'm all in, I think a lot of people are. Uh, It's Mm -hmm. been a great kickoff. Um, A lot of the authors announced what they're working on next, but uh, you haven't. And I assume that you can't now, but I was just, is there anything that you can give us, tease us for uh, what's to come next for
1: Charles Soule and the High Republic? Um, The next thing I'm coming for the High Republic has been announced. It's um, I'm doing, uh, so Star Wars Insider is releasing short fiction again. Uh, which they didn't they didn't do for a while, but now they're having these you know these short stories uh in in the in the magazine the fan mag Star Wars fan magazine it's great Star Wars Insider and so my first installment which really works as basically chapter zero of Light of the Jedi um is in uh is in issue 199 which came out in December and then issue two sorry 200 I think is out in I think February and that has another story that bookends the first story so those are kind of like a, a two parter but the second story works as like an epilogue, a little like a coda really to light of the Jedi. So, so it's almost like if you read those two stories, you get two extra short chapters um, featuring a uh, Joss and Picka Adrian, the married couple, the kind of like, you know, sort of <laughs> in over their heads, mechanics uh, who, who get into all kinds of exciting stuff. Um, and, and that was really fun to do. So, and uh, so that's all that's been announced at this point.
0: <laughs> uh, can you tease us for anything? For for the rest of 2021, uh, even if it's announced, what, what are you most excited to see uh when it's released out to the
1: world? Well, within the High Republic, I mean, there's so much. Uh I don't know. Like I I know I, I really I one of the things that has really worked well is allowing the audiences to be surprised. And I'm not gonna ruin that for anybody, but I I I know what everybody's working on. I think it's I think it's wonderful stuff. I am really excited to see people's reaction to, to what the story is and what we're actually telling, because, you know, these five projects, um, these launch projects are, you know, think of, if you want to think of the, of the three phases as like a movie trilogy, right? You know, you've seen the first 10 minutes of the first movie kind of, you know, like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's more than that, but you get the idea, right? It's, there's, there is a lot of storytelling to come and a lot of surprises and a lot of twists and turns, like, um so i will say that if you like what's happened so far and you like the stakes and you like the universe that we've built here you are in for a treat because this is this is what we're intending to do the whole way through
0: excellent tease we've just seen mm-hmm. the tip of the mountain at monument plaza which yes exactly exactly is one of the best scenes in the book uh Thank you. well Thank you so much again for taking the time to speak with me and everyone watching. Uh, Where can people find you online? Uh, Follow you on Twitter. Uh, What other books would you recommend for a a star Wars fan that your comics that you've written?
1: Sure. Uh, Well, the, the best place to find me, um, if you want a lot of, you know, dumb 280 character tweets uh, is Twitter. Um, I'm just under my own name. Charles sold C H A R L E S S O U L E. I also have a website, charlesoul.com, that has a bunch of sort of updates. Uh, you can sign up for my monthly newsletter there, um, and you can get, you know, I, I I put a lot of exclusive Star Wars stuff available through my web store there, if you want. So charlesoul.com, sign up for the newsletter, Twitter. Um, and then as far as my own stuff, for Star Wars fans, you know, if you're an original trilogy person or a prequels person, I think the Darth Vader series is an excellent bridge to, you um, between those two eras. If you like Rebels, like it's got the Inquisitors, it's got a lot of really cool stuff in it. Very proud of that, did that with Giuseppe Camicoli. Um, I'm very proud of the Rise of Kylo Ren, which, which got, gave me an opportunity to write my Luke Skywalker stories um, in a way that was really gratifying and fun uh, in much the way I'm sure that that Luke's appearance at the end of Mandalorian season two was for, for uh, um, Dave Filoni and John Favreau, and Mark Hamill for that matter. Um, so I would say those two um, and then, and then I really, I'm I'm very proud of my Lando series too, with Alex Paul Palmauns from the from the very beginning of my Star Wars run. And um, you can see how how pieces that are laid down there all feed into the series I'm writing now from Marvel, which is the main Star Wars flagship. I think issue ten just came out, um, and that is set between Episode five and Episode six. So it's it's really showing the journey of how like Luke became the sort of pretty pretty messed up dude we saw at the end of Empire Strikes Back, missing a hand the whole thing. Um, I just learned that Darth Vader was his father, maybe, um, and was really wrecked by it. To that super confident Jedi that we saw at the beginning of Return of the Jedi and and in you know Mandalorian, so that is all like that journey for Luke is is part of the Star Wars series I'm writing. There's how did how did Lando go from this, this sort of scoundrel who who was completely untrustworthy scoundrel at the end of Empire Strikes Back to be a general. Uh, trusted with the things that he's trusted with in Return of the Jedi. Like, how did the rebels come to trust him that much when he's kind of not really reformed by the end of Empire Strikes Back? So, you know, and all kinds of things. And it's, so that is been, has been really fun if you like the original trilogy stuff too. So honestly, you know, as you said, um, I've written a lot of Star Wars. I'm proud of all of it. It's kind of whatever flavor of Star Wars you feel like reading. There's stuff in literally every era that's been announced from prequels to trilogy to Mo- to sequel trilogy. And then back to now High Republic. So whatever your flavor is, there's there's something with my name on
0: it. I always, when people ask me what's the first, I've never read a Star Wars comic. What should I read first? I always say Lobot because it's five issues long. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like, if you like this, then you'll like other comics. But it's also just such a great and surprising story. That's always the first thing I recommend. Uh, and I was going to throw out the, the Oracle year. I haven't read anyone oh. yet. But The Oracle Year is a really great non-Star Wars novel, uh, but I, I enjoyed it immensely. So
1: I wasn't sure if I was allowed to talk about non-Star Wars stuff. Oh, on yeah, the, yeah. The channel. But yeah, <laughs> um, yeah I, have, I have two original novels uh, that came out before Light of the Jedi. Um, what, the first is called The Oracle Year, about a guy who um, knows 108 things that are going to happen over the next year, uh, like future events, and then it's kind of what he does with them. And then the other book, my second book, is called Anyone, which is about technology that gets invented that lets, um, you know, you put your mind in anyone else's body. And it it tracks that technology from the moment of its invention to 25 years later when it's completely changed the world. And everyone uses it as commonly as they would smartphones or anything like that. So everybody's zipping around at everybody else's body all the time. Um, And that's that's a lot of fun. And I would say that if you like the way that Light of the Jedi is incredibly fast paced and incredibly sort of pulls you along and each chapter has a cliffhanger and you can't wait to keep reading, um, both Oracle Year and Anyone are where I develop that style. So if you like it, If you like it in Light of the Jedi, you'll like it in Oracle. You're in anyone as well.
0: Awesome. Uh, Thank you again for for talking Light of the Jedi and just allowing me to gush for a while. Uh, If you haven't read it, please do. It is seriously great. Uh, But thank you all for watching and listening if you're listening to the podcast. And uh, may the Force be with you. All right. Thanks for having me on.